Welcome to In the Fig of It, Profit and Losses weekly podcast with me, Colin Lambert. This week on the agenda, we have uh, one item and one item only because last week, the day after our um, Profit and Loss dial-in day, I definitely poked the bear um, and the bear woke up and started swinging from all directions. The subject matter at hand was the WM fix for the month end. Um, I'm sure most of you have seen it, what happened there, Euro dollar just went on a tear north. Um, I think we had something like 30 points uh, increase pre-window in the 10 minutes before, so around the pre-hedging window, should it be happening. And we had about 40 to 50 points in the window itself. So pretty much what you saw was from 10 minutes before, you saw a 70 to 75 point move higher in euro dollar. Um, I made my usual observations on the fix, which I'm sure regular listeners will, are all very, very well aware of. Um, so what I thought I'd do today before I get into our guest, who will also be discussing benchmark fixes, um, is just go through some of the reactions of some of the summaries, sorry, the, the summaries of reactions that I got. Um, and there are a lot of them. Generally speaking, I think the key point that was made to me by a couple of people, including a couple of asset managers, um, was that you know, the fix merely reflected supply and demand. Um, you know, they pointed to the fact that the market stayed above the print for hours after the fix, um, which indeed it did. I guess that's kind of missing my point around, you know, did we really need to push the market 70 points higher? Is there not a better way? Um, you know, we're obsessed with market impact these days. That was market impact 101. So yes, it did stay above the print, but I don't think that's our issue. Um, Another key theme brought up was um, P2P got a very good airing. So peer-to-peer, um, yes, obviously there's a lot of people out there that can look at this and go, this is why we need peer-to-peer. However, I would also point out that what we're really looking at, you know, what is the fix? It's been made perfectly clear that no proprietary desk on any bank is willing to actually handle fix orders the management don't want it compliance and oversight don't want it and even the traders don't want it so this is all going agency anyway so therefore what we are actually seeing is um, a peer-to-peer fix you know the, the net flows through this window are only those flows from people submitting orders to the fix bank regular business are barely getting involved so we're already kind of seeing a peer-to-peer solution with the fix the problem, I think, is, or the challenge for the P2P providers in spot is going to be around, okay, so do you make the window longer? I mean, it's all about that netting process. I mean, someone points out to me that the netting is still done by the voice brokers, which is a, you know, an information leakage risk. Yes, it could be done you know, electronically, and I think this is what a lot of people are looking to do, um, you know, some of the solutions that are coming through now. Um, this is all well and good. The problem is we still will have a residue that needs executing. And effectively, that residue was what we saw happen last Thursday, the month end. Um, and you know, let's not forget that March month end was also a lot of fun and games in Kbozi and, um, and Yen. Look at the Tokyo fix. Um, so we need to sort of look at the residue. And I think this is my problem, is that by the very fact that we're actually turning around and saying we need to pre-hedge these flows is an acknowledgement that the five-minute window isn't long enough. So we need to look at that one. Um, other observations were, well, this is a market obsessed with benchmarking. 
don't get me started on that one, of course. Um, it is. I mean, somebody suggested that what we do is that uh, we hand the fixing process over to the central banks. They produce a fix. Um, and then we all take that and move on. Um, the BOJ, or sorry, the Tokyo fix at a uh, month in for March, where Dolly Yen shifted about 80 to 90 points north in one minute as everybody chased a timestamp, kind of makes that a bit of a, a wrong argument, I would argue. Um, equally, the ECB fix was being played, um, and the ECB has responded by delaying publication of the fix. So people can't actually use it as a benchmark rate. They can use it as a reference rate, which is what it's meant to be. Um, so if you do go back to that, you know, with, the, with this industry's obsession with benchmarking, um, you either go back to a, a scramble where everybody tries to get the timestamp um, and be as close to it as possible. But we saw with Dolly N, there were people there that must have traded 60 to 70 points away from the actual timestamp. So what's the value there? You know, they're, not, you know, they're getting tracking error there anyway, even though it's positive tracking error. Um, so we either accept that we have this mad scramble or the funds accept tracking error. And I'm pretty sure over the years that this has been going on, that is one thing that's not going to happen. Um, a couple of other themes raised. Uh, what does this mean under MIFID 2 and the FX Global Code? The fact that banks are accepting these orders, um, there's market impact and you know, it could be seen as disruptive trading practices. I think the problem is, is obviously when they accept the order, they have absolutely no concept that this will actually be a disruptive order. Um, you could probably surmise at month end, particularly in thinner market conditions, um, that yes, it will have an impact, but it's very hard to judge how much, um, given how liquidity just thins out. Having said that, we've got some very good analytical tools out there. We're constantly being told about them. Maybe we can use those. At the moment, I think all that can happen is a bank can accept a fixing order and then go, sorry, that didn't quite go as planned. Nothing we can do about it. Aggregation of orders is another thing that came up, um, which I find actually quite interesting. So what we've got, we've got um, fewer and fewer banks actually accepting these orders. And you can probably look at it and go, you know, this is why there are 27 or 28 algo providers on Bloomberg, when we all know, in effect, there's probably going to be nine or 10 at most. Um, but what it is, is people using white-labeled algos, and a lot of time it will be to execute fixed business, you know, using the basic TWAP. Um, so what we've got now is we've got a congregation of orders in the hands of probably, I mean, someone said to me it's probably nine or 10 banks. I would argue it's probably five or six. You know, if you look at the FX committee semi-annual surveys, it's about 85% of the spot business in the hands of six houses. So you could probably look at it and go, you know, five or six are handling most of the fix. Um, so what we've got there is a, you know, a congregation of orders in a few hands. And we've got from where before it used to be traders touting for this business. Now you've got salespeople touting for this business, especially if they're paid on, on volume. So you could argue actually beyond the actual conducts and the framework around it, has anything actually changed from before the scandal really broke? Yes, we have firmer places, firmer processes in place, but you know we're building orders into a few hands. We are taking business that we know is difficult to execute, um, particularly within the constraints of a five-minute window. So, you know, has anything actually changed there? It's interesting. Um, in my column on Thursday, I actually called for a review of the FX Benchmark Group's um, 
recommendations from 2014 that created this um, scenario, you know, you know, these issues that we have now. It's not a criticism of that group's work in any way. And I want to stress that here, as I did in the column. What it is, is I think the world has moved on. Data, technology, analytics, everything is so much more powerful and, and, and more available. And quite simply, um, we, I think we have to ask the question, you know, is the fix fit for purpose? Now, yes, it probably is. The big question is, is it fit for purpose in its current form? And does it need changing? So. Um, looking at it from my perspective here, you know, the regular argument I get from asset managers is, oh, well, it will cost too much money to change the documentation. Well, I may have said this before in this podcast, but I do wonder how much it costs to get a law firm to change your documentation versus how much it costs you to get a law firm to defend a lawsuit from investors saying you're not looking after their best interest by using a mechanism that you know, empirical data and analytical evidence tells you is actually wrong so we need a solution the answer to me i have to say seems obvious and um, we'll be discussing that with my guest after the break profit and loss is moving industry conferences online instead of traveling to london frankfurt or new york visit profit-loss.com events and register for our new dial-in day online conferences you can also email info at profit-loss.com for sponsorship opportunities. So I'm joined by uh, Jamie Walton, co-founder of Rathna, um, which has uh, developed the, a, a new benchmark for FX markets called Siren. Um, now, Jamie, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Uh, you were... You were kind of share with me some interesting analytics and data that you um, derived from Q1 and last week's month end, which caused so much of the uh, so much upheaval on my uh, social media networks. Um, can you sort of share those with listeners? I mean, in terms of what you know, what your observations were by using a different window. Sure. So um, obviously, we saw in the heightened volatility uh, in March, and. Um, Given that we're a benchmark provider, we wanted to do a comparison to see how the benchmark, different benchmarks performed. You know, the 4 p.m. fix yeah. you know, was extremely volatile, and uh, the research I shared with you uh, showed that um, it was excess volatility. So the move around the fix wasn't just because the markets were volatile; it was even more volatile at the fix. So that that was some of the. Uh, research we did by looking at sort of a five-minute realized volatility window. So if you look at that, you can see in some instances the, the 5 p.m., sorry, the 4 p.m. fix was um, something like twice as volatile mm. uh, than uh, if you look to say, three, 3 o'clock volatility on the same day. So that shows that there, there's definitely something happening around the fix. Um, and when there's extra, extra volatility, there's more hedging taking place more volume going through and uh, I suspect because of that more orders are being placed and it comes down to how how then that's going to be hedged. One of the fundamental problems with the fix I know that you keep talking about Colin is is the fact that the window is too short you know the five minutes um, window is not long enough for the market to absorb the amount of volume going through uh, for the orders. So um, with Siren we wanted to build a, a longer window into the benchmark. So we, we went with the 20 minute window, 
so four times longer. Mm-hmm. And you know, I've, I hear the arguments that we could use all day or an hour or three hours. And you know, the longer is always going to be better in the sense that you can reduce your market impact with a longer window, which allows the market to absorb the flow. Um, the 20 minutes was, um, came about from discussions with asset managers. So the asset manager management community, we had a big meeting last year in October with 12 of the largest asset managers and you know, discussed what was the optimal window length for them in terms of their operational processes, uh, knowing how much volume they wanted to hedge at the fix. And they came up with um, you know, 20 minutes as being sort of a happy medium between long enough to reduce market impact, but not so long that it incurs op- you know, large operational risk. So, so looking at then at the, at the performance before our 20 minute window, we, we observed that you know, Siren massively outperforms uh, the fix. Uh, for those funds. So a fund trades placing an order at the fix, uh, you know, a buy order, if they'd placed a buy order for the siren uh, in something like cable, it was an average of $1,000 per million better if they traded at siren. So 10 basis point better trading on siren um, in March. And now we've shown that historically the list better. And, and we didn't design the, the, the benchmark to be a better performance. I think it's a better performer because of this um, uh, inefficiency around the four o'clock fix, the fact that there's so much flow pushing the market away, that choosing any other window, any longer window will perform better. But the $1,000 per million, I think that's where we get you know, clients sitting up and asking questions. You know, this is clearly much better. Maybe we should actually move across to this, this as a benchmark. So I did the analysis for April month then as well. We saw volumes. Yeah. And go down in April but um, of course we had a spectacular um, month end uh, fix uh, again looking at cable uh, or euro dollar in euro dollar we saw uh, 20 basis points better performance of siren uh, for month end and in cable it was 25 basis points Aussie it was 23 basis points so you're seeing a consistently better better fixed um, if you choose a siren benchmark partly because of all this flow driving the market Mm. Is it statistically significant then that you know all of the benchmarks are outperforming by around twenty basis points? I mean, is that actually is that actually sort of demonstrating the methodology? I think that's more showing a, a, a correlation okay. um, between those markets, those particular markets, those three. Um, so it's not always the same number. So if you look at dollar yen, um, the number can vary a bit more, okay. positive and negative. But um, yeah, those three are quite correlated. Mm. Uh, Euro dollar in April wasn't quite as strong performance. It was seven hundred dollars a million on average, but still, you know, if you think about everyone focused on the spread they're paying in the fix or the fee they're paying, now are they paying twelve dollars or are they paying fifteen dollars mm. per million for trading the fix? And when you're talking about an outperformance of you know seven hundred, you know, two yeah. and a half thousand dollars per million, it does put those spreads into into context. Yeah, it's an interesting, wasn't it? I mean. You mentioned there the 20 minute window. Um, I mean, obviously, I have been arguing for longer windows for some time, and I think it is the solution because I think it's important to know that, you know, generally speaking, we're not talking misconduct or anything like that here. We are just talking about, um, in my view, a mechanism that's no longer um, fit for purpose due to changes in market structure and the wider world. We have better analytics, we have, you know, better algos. Um, you know, we can track flow a bit easier. So, 
you mentioned a 20 minute window there. What would it look like, do you think, if this went to, say, an hour? Well, it's interesting you say that. We do actually publish uh, an hour window siren as well. Um, mm. uh, so that's also uh, published by, by Blue Change FX, the regulated benchmark administrator. Um, we, so that, that is an, opp an opportunity for clients to use an hour if they wanted. We've, we've tended to centre around 20 minutes more for, you know, from a marketing perspective because yeah. it can confuse the message if we talk about different windows. But yes, if you compare the hour versus the 20 minutes, it does even better, as you'd expect. So, is there a drop-off? Drop um, I think beyond an hour, it starts to drop off. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, and I haven't done this fully. We, this analysis where we compared the different windows was done uh, over three years of data. So I haven't run that over more recent data to see if that uh, continues. But certainly we saw uh, almost... Um, you know, if you compare 20 minutes with an hour, it's almost double uh, the saving for an hour over 20 minutes. Yeah. So there are definitely arguments for longer windows. Um, yeah. But going back to my earlier point about what does the client want, that, that's kind of what's driving at uh, the time. I'd certainly 20 minutes is better than five, five minutes is better than one. And I think we're moving towards something that is better and that the, the market can absorb. But it's good to know that we have the mechanism if the market does want to move to a longer window that then we would have the mechanism to do yeah. that in the future using siren yeah and the uh, the mischievousness inside me would turn and say these are the same clients who are happy at one minute and then they're happy at five minutes and you know there seems to be sort of some sort of you know sort of reactionary um, element to it but that's you know that's that's for another day probably i mean it makes sense to me it clearly makes sense to you um and it makes sense to quite a lot of people out there that we have this longer window, but we don't. What do you think is going to change it? You know, what, from your perspective, what do, you, what, what do you think you have to do to really sort of, you know, where are you now in terms of changing it? And what do you think you're going to have to do to really sort of change attitudes? Yeah, so it's been a, a process. So the first thing was to get you know, regulatory approval and to get a... Um, you know, get the backing of the FCA and the Bank of England, which we have, we did last year. And sorry, that's for all windows? That's for all windows. Okay, yeah. Yes. So, again, we have a five-minute, uh, 10 minutes, 15, 20, 30, and an hour. So, but again, focusing the message on yeah. 20 minutes is clearer. Uh, but it's regu regulated uh, for all those windows, or published for all those windows. Um so that was the first step. The second step was making sure that there, there were liquidity providers who can offer that. So we've been in talks with uh, most of the largest banks uh, about offering uh, clients to execute against the Siren benchmark. We have four banks we're in progress with uh, quite closely. We've got one bank who can offer that today. So that was step one, because if an asset manager wants to execute, they need someone to execute with. So that, that was the next process. And now it's really targeting the asset management community who are the you know, major users of the fix saying, okay, now you need to switch over. And it will take time. There's inertia. There's, um, there's lots of hoops that need to be jumped through. We've spoken to asset managers who talk about having to you know, change their agreements, you know, change their agreements with the asset owners, um, change documentation, potentially change liquidity providers, change the systems. So we, we know systems which only allow one FX benchmark to be entered. So, so you know, that actually has to be 
know, code work to allow too. And then there's also things like the basis risk. So if they start to move some funds over to Siren but leave others on WM, well then of course you know the, the basis risk between those two. Mm. How do you bear that? So it, it, it will take a little bit of time, but we we have got a lot of positive feedback, and uh, we are we're close with a couple of mid-sized asset managers who who are very keen, particularly with this data, particularly looking at this yeah. um, this you know the, the returns they could have achieved in in, in March and April. Um, I mean, one of one asset manager said, "Well, we're we're viewing this as alpha. This is not mm. just you know, moving away from a flawed benchmark, but this is actually an alpha outperformance." Yeah, you know, so that's that's something very positive. You know, ten basis points, twenty basis points for every fix. You know, over a year, yeah, that, mm. that's a substantial difference. But yes, it will take a little bit of time and inertia that we need to overcome. And I guess it's also about the numbers. I mean, the month end will be the the I guess the headline grabbing act. But yeah. it's it's interesting to me that you know you're seeing this performance, this outperformance from a longer window over a whole quarter which would suggest that the month-end effect would be diluted quite significantly. Yes, exactly. So, uh, I mean, if you think of the March in cable, the worst day, or the best day, however you would see it, uh, Siren was outperforming by 56 basis points. So the, so the average of, you know, 10 basis points yeah. is across the months, but you know, there are certain days where it's more than that. And I think there are three days, yeah, I'm looking at now, three days where it's worse. I can't guarantee it's always going to, outperform and um, no, no. sometimes it will be worse sometimes it will be better but actually the majority of times better statistically significantly better uh, performance yeah. uh, than the fix and not just in the last quarter but actually over the last you know, three years which we've analyzed um, we have analyzed this for one fund so we've got one fund's benchmark data and we're able to show the outperformance for that fund for for the whole quarter you know they, they've got massive outperformance uh, which was you know, multiples of the spread they were paying. So I think it, for that particular client, it was four times the spread they were yeah. paying that performance. Uh, and they're paying basis point spread. And it's so, what I find interesting, because and quite rightly, some funds have, you know, one of, the, one of the things people have been selling around algos is the fact that, you know, it's better than the spread that you'll be charged on a risk transfer. I'm not convinced there'll be that many 50-point spreads on some of the amounts these people are charging. For a risk transfer price, I mean, these are significant numbers, aren't they? I mean, what yeah, role, though? Yeah, it's definitely making people sit up and listen, and I think that's that's part of why we want to push this now. Yeah, not just look. We didn't design Siren to be a to be um, outperforming. You know, we wanted a more transparent benchmark. We wanted a benchmark which isn't just based on a single venue. We mm. wanted a benchmark where it's harder to uh, anticipate the signal to you know because we use this sort of you know, optimal execution waiting. So the waiting for the start of the window is lower than at the end. So the signal is weaker. So all of those were some of the goals in making a fairer, more transparent benchmark. That's what we wanted to achieve. Um, and that alone should convince people that, that Siren is an opportunity to move to a better world. Mm. The fact that we get this outperformance is just the icing on the cake that says, look, it's best to in every possible way. It ticks every possible box. All yeah. you need to do is overcome that inertia, change your processes to, to tap into these better results. And we've got, you know, the regulators, you know, supporting us in this endeavor. They, they all want the market to move away from, from the concentration risk associated yeah. with the fix. I mean, does it, I mean, these 20 minutes, part of your conversation, 
I mean, is there actually sort of discussions around doing it at a different time of day? Yeah, uh, sorry, just to be clear, we do um, publish every half hour. Uh, yeah. So that's... But in terms of actually, I mean, you know, is it a question that, you know, the, I think we, we kind of understand the sort of mentality of the asset manager community and their obsession with tracking error. Um, yeah. Is there actually, I mean, do you actually sort of also think part of the conversation needs to be, well, you don't all need to execute at the same time? Precisely. I mean, that's the concentration risk, which just, just makes the 4pm fix particularly volatile and particularly um, poor performing. But um, again, looking at um, some studies I did, so what one fund that I analyzed this quarter, we looked at what would happen if they traded at any other time of day other than 4 o'clock. So if they traded at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, all the way up to 6 o'clock in the day. And every single hour, outperforms to four o'clock yeah. on average. <laughs> so just choosing a different time of day, well, you will get a better performance. Mm. That, that's almost certainly Is true. that during the European day or is that the whole 24 hour day? That was the European day. It's a European fund. <laughs> that would have been a revelation if not, if, if 4 p.m. New York is better than the 4 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That may not be the case. So just looking Europe, for this European fund, looking at European trading day, but, you know, it just proved the point that and the worst time is four o'clock. And, and we know why. It wasn't a surprise to get that, but it was a satisfying result to, to yes. be able to show that any other time of day you'd get a better performance. Yeah. And of course, using Siren, of course, will then mitigate any concentration risk around the, 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 the hour uh, fix itself. I guess the downside of having the fixes spread, though, is that I mean, one thing that's always touted around sort of you know, benchmark fixes is... Not something I'm 100% convinced of because, I mean, don't get me wrong, there are benefits to it, but that's the netting benefit. So sort of how do you sort of, I mean, how do you help maintain that netting effect, which is, which is having a positive impact to a degree even now, isn't it? Yes, and I think we, we have to be clear that netting requires everyone to trade at a similar time. You know, the yeah. more it's out, the, the fewer netting opportunities you'll get. Um, but, you know, actually, I've been working with Siege, uh, Siege FX, to declare uh, some interest on their netting. And um, they are looking to offer Siren netting within the Siege platform as well for, for Spot. Um, we see benefits of you know, 25% to 40% netting, okay. depending on, uh, based on the, the asset managers we've, we've uh, analyzed yeah. so far. So there is significant netting benefit. If you're reducing, you know, if you're getting 40% of it, netted off yeah. and only 60% residual having to be executed. And remember, when that gets executed, that goes to a bank, um, that 60%, that bank will then net against its own flow. They may be sending stuff to, to eFix, to net. So the, the eventual parts that are executed in the market should be significantly lower. So netting definitely helps reduce market impact. There's no doubt. There's a reason why uh, banks were colluding over WMR in before 2015, you know, the, the netting benefit that yeah. Illusion gave them, you know, actually could have benefited the clients, you could argue, you know, yeah. because they were netting a flow rather than trying to trade against each other. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just a mechanism, having a fair mechanism that doesn't uh, affect the client. And that, that's how having a third party netting, uh, netting counterparty such as Siege can help you to ensure the netting is done on an independent basis. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, 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 it's interesting because, I mean, 
I guess a lot of the time the simplistic argument is always around the, well, what we just need is a longer window, feed the flow into the market. But it is actually quite a multifaceted solution we need to look for here, isn't it? Yes, I agree. And there's, there's lots of different pieces to combine, the need to combine as well for the market to evolve to a better place. But that, that's what we're trying to achieve here. Yeah. We all want the market to move to a more transparent, fairer system where no one person has an advantage. Mm. And particularly for the asset managers who are ultimately placing these orders, that there's, they're not getting you know, particularly bad bills by their choice of benchmark. Yeah, That's what we want to move away from. Yeah, because I mean, I'm, I mean, just to pick up one thing you said there, I mean, I think you could argue that the part of the problem with the WM fix at the moment, the five-minute window, is it's too transparent. As in, everybody knows it's going to happen. Everybody looks for the flow. Everyone looks for seven or eight TWAPs who all join the market in the same direction at three fifty-seven and a half. So it's yeah. a, so that transparency issue is actually around um, is already there in terms of the mechanism, isn't it? It's a question yeah, of transparency. But you don't, want, you don't have the transparency of the flow. You want the transparency yeah. of the benchmark. So yeah. um, with Siren, it's based on new change FX data. They publish their spot rates every 50 milliseconds. Um, so you can see your tracking error in real time against the Siren benchmark. And it's published immediately. So we will publish it at 4 o'clock. So you can see your performance versus the benchmark immediately. You don't have to wait 10 minutes to see what the, the actual benchmark was published to be so you, that sort of benefits the liquidity provider that transparency it yeah. benefits the uh, asset manager because they can see what's happening with the execution and because of that transparency it should reduce any opportunity for someone to take take advantage of it what's it for the lp i mean is this a question is this another is this going to be a fee-based service the way you know wm is it could be yeah it doesn't have to be um no. so Again, going back to how we designed the benchmark, um, and having worked at banks, I was at UBS, I was at Morgan Stanley, and seeing how banks do execute. Um, a lot of banks do the pre-hedging fix. I mean, that's how you can actually do it. You want to yeah. trade into the fix. You're not going to execute everything on the, in the window. So I wanted to design a benchmark that could uh, mirror how it was executed. Because yeah. if you're executing the way you're calculating the benchmark, then it, it, there's less reason to, to front run it. You know, the problem with TWAP is, you know, if you have a transparent TWAP, someone says, well, I'll just front load my, my orders. Yes. That, that's how you take advantage of a TWAP. So, and to be fair, the idea that behind Siren was borrowed from equities. So mm. equities, if you trade the close, in, in equities markets, you generally can't trade exactly for the close. Uh, they tend to trade into the claims using these optimal execution windows. And I borrowed this concept uh, from equities into FX to, to use that same concept within the FX marketplace. And I think if the market all evolves to that, then there are opportunities for banks to, to make, make more money. They can see what their uh, tracking error is to the, to the optimal execution you know, weightings to the trade trajectory. So, if they can outperform that, then everyone wins, as long as they pass that on uh, to the client in some form. So yeah. I don't think it has to be a pure agency business. What I do think is there needs to be clear segregation between any principal risk-taking activity. So that, that's the clear thing. There's no reason it has to be a pure agency business. No. I think that's just a result of the, the fines and people just 
know, yeah. watching to have no input or no influence over the over the benchmark. Oh, it's definitely feast or famine when it comes to compliance networks um, on these things. I mean, it's an interesting one because I mean, obviously, the, there's been a lot of news um, and chatter around fixes in other markets, including equities, um, where you know people have been banging the clothes to use the, the expression they use for the WM fix, which is brilliant. It actually strikes me this could actually work better in FX than it does in equities because there isn't a close. Yeah, I completely agree. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, the fact that you don't close means you are mitigating the risk over yeah. a long time. I mean, is it, for, I, might, I want to check I'm getting the right end of the stick here, but we saw what happened in the Tokyo fix at the end of March when yeah. it just went crazy as everyone chased a timestamp. That effectively was people loading their algos to hit, that, hit, the, hit a close, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly that. And yeah. I think that's a point in time benchmark, which you know, does create these massive inefficiencies. Um, yeah. I, I think... We all have to move away from these point-in-time benchmarks. It has to be done over uh, a, a, a way that reflects how it's executed. You know, the benchmark uh, calculation should reflect the execution, and then you avoid these inefficiencies from, from how people try to you know, uh, reduce their tracking error. You know, mm. If you have to do all your trading on the fixing window in one second, then to reduce your tracking error, <laughs> then you get the crazy inefficiencies in the market that we saw for the Tokyo fix. Yeah, yeah. That one. <laughs> yeah, somebody actually suggested we should let the CBs, the central banks, fix it. I'm thinking to myself, yeah, that didn't quite go so well in March, and I think that's why the ECB have changed how they do it. So we'll see. Um, Jamie, thank you for joining us. Um, thank you very much. Really interesting. I mean, so people know that I'm very interested in a longer window, um, and I think you know it's nice to get some day, hard data. That actually shows people how it works. So, um, good luck with that. We will watch that with uh, with interest. Um, to our listeners, thanks very much for listening. We'll be back next week as usual. Um, yeah, have a great week.